I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I'm Guy Barter. Welcome to Gardening with the RHS. Growth is surging as the days lengthen and planting and sowing are going ahead as fast as we can manage. Some weeds are starting to grow too, so a bit of hoeing is needed to keep them down. It's a good time to plant up greenhouses with tomatoes, aubergines, peppers and chilies, and high time to get the spuds in if you haven't already. They benefit from having plenty of leaves in June when the sun is at the highest. Bulbs too are finishing now and removing seed pods as the flowers fade will help bulk up the bulbs for a good show next year. Winter containers are coming to an end, so out go the pansies and in go the fuchsias and pelagoniums and petunias and all the other lovely summer flowering plants. And of course birds are feeding their fledglings, so keeping some water and bird food going will help them raise successful broods. There's an endless amount to do at this time of year, but thank heavens the evenings are getting longer so we can garden and garden and garden. As we approach May, it's a brilliant time to get out and visit gardens as plants start to bloom. And one garden I would recommend is Larch Cottage Nurseries in Cumbria, winners of last year's RHS Partner Garden of the Year competition. Run by husband and wife team Peter and Joe Stott, the gardens are bursting with more than 15,000 varieties of plants, well deserving of their win, so let's hear more. My name is Peter Stott and I am the owner of Larch Cottage Nurseries in Melkinthorpe in Cumbria. I sort of work in a vacuum here and I've just carried on in my own little world for quite a few years now and so I don't really sort of look at the outside world much and so when we found we'd won it, it was a big surprise to be honest. The garden at Larch Cottage here has developed for the last 35 years approximately. I've always been involved in the arts all my life and landscaping is a real passion for me and I suppose that I've tried to build the garden to have a sort of, I mean, it might sound a little prosaic, but a sort of a spiritual aspect to it and I very much believe that we need to sort of slow down the pace of life that we live in so our gardens are mainly designed around a series of rooms or little journeys that actually try and capture people's imagination for a short time and take them out of the ordinary day-to-day -day existence. And as you go through the gardens, they become more probably shrubbery and quieter. And as you get down towards the chapel, it's almost going to wild. 
an idea of wild, not real wild, but the idea that it's sort of sitting in a very quiet space, I suppose. It is a huge challenge where, where we live. At this time of the year, we're in a frost pocket, which we sort of lie midway between the Pennines on one side of us and the Lake District on the other, and we're in this sort of Eden Valley, and the frost tends to drain right down to us. We live near a little river, and so at this time of year, we are quite cold. So over the years, we've selectively bred plants that can cope with our sort of environment. In summer, we're quite hot. We have a very dry climate. We have a very low rainfall. It is not without difficulties where we grow, but the plants at least are very, very hardy. It's quite an entourage behind us. I am the person who designs everything and takes the business forward in a sort of a directional point of view. Uh, my wife is the person that has to pick up all the pieces when I've sort of left them sort of hovering in the air and everything. And she sort of runs the nursery on a day-to-day -day basis. Then we've got three gardeners who look after the gardens for me. And then we've got the people who help us do all the growing because we try and produce as much material here ourselves as we possibly can because a lot of it now is getting very difficult to get hold of. The old nurserymen that used to grow lots of rare and unusual varieties seem to have packed up and it's not a business that many people want to take up because it's very difficult and it's not particularly financially rewarding. You do it because you love it and not because you're going to become a millionaire, I think. Everybody asks us, what's your rare plants? To be honest, what's one person's rare plant is another person's common. We just grow, we search at an absolutely huge range of plants. I started off growing herbaceous because nobody grew herbaceous in the early days in Cumbria when I first opened the nursery, and alpines. Herbaceous and alpines I started with, but I have a great love for the texture that you can create and the patination that you can create with using herbaceous with shrubs. So I tend to try and have as big a range of most plant species as I possibly can. We grow a huge amount of conifers, different, you know, grafted conifers, acers, anything you can think of really, like cornus, coozers. There are so many plants that we grow that it is difficult to sort of nail down one sector of my plant material that I would say is my favourite. It changes from month to month. I am really passionate about what I do. I think I am incredibly lucky that I found something that not only does provide me with a living, but it's almost an indulgence. It's my theatre and I enjoy that stage and putting architectural elements because a lot of our gardens are built around architectural elements. I love the composition of stone and plants together. I love the sort of idea that something is redolent of the past. It has this feel of perhaps medieval, even earlier, how we have contacts with things that are very primitive, stone and soil and plants, and how we put them together makes you feel or can create special feelings, which is, I suppose, how I've tried to build a garden. Winning the competition was a bit like getting a gold medal at Chelsea to me, but to anybody that enters it, it's like a real gold medal. It's actually for a real garden. Although our garden is theatre, and I've always built it like a, a stage set, it actually works as a garden, and whereas they're ephemera at Chelsea, they're there for a few days and then they're gone. Whereas a garden should last and, and it should change through the seasons and 
your garden, if you win such a competition, says how much you have put into creating something that is totally individual to you. I do everything out of love, I suppose, and I built a chapel within the garden. It's actually the final stage of the garden. It's the, the journey through the garden goes down to the chapel at the far end. And I built the garden for myself and Joe to be married in. And it's a full stop within the garden. Not only is it a full stop, it's like a green oasis. It is a very, very calm and peaceful place. And I built a, a little lake in front of it, which sets the chapel off because it makes you see it from a distance to start with and the reflections and things like that give it this sense of permanence, I suppose. From our point of view, we feel as though we've achieved something that, as I say, Cumbria's a little bit of a cultural wilderness in some respects, especially where we are, and it actually has put a little bit of Cumbria on the map. It's not just a garden winning this competition, it's actually a, a statement of intent and the winning of the RHS award is like the highest achievement that you could win within the garden world, I suppose. And I think anybody that gets anywhere within it can feel an immense amount of satisfaction of having achieved something of a gardening accolade, if you like. Thanks and congratulations again to Peter and Joe Stott at Larch Cottage Nurseries. And the search is on again for 2022. The RHS invites you to vote for your favourite feel-good RHS partner garden in recognition of the positive impact gardens have on our health and well-being. Whether it is a place of solitude, an exhilarating walk or a family day out, you can cast your vote to show your appreciation of the gardens and the people who tend them. Finalists will be selected in six specific regions across the UK and there will be an overall winner. You can cast your vote via the RHS website. In addition, all voters will be entered into a prize draw to win a pair of tickets to the RHS Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival in 2023 with a luxury two-night stay close to the show. So get your votes in. You have until 30th of September to be in with a chance. Now we're heading to one of my favourite gardens, our very own Wisley in Surrey. Our expert advisory team is here to answer some of your gardening queries. My name's James Lawrence. I'm a Principal Horticultural Advisor based at RHS Wisley and I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Nikki Barker. I'm Senior Horticultural Advisor here at Wisley and... I'm also joined by Julie Henderson, and I'm a horticultural advisor based here at Wisley as well. Got a question now from Jenny in Devon. She's actually just received a delivery of a new compost bin, and she's never composted before. She would like our advice on what she can or can't compost, and any tips on how to make a good compost. Now, I'll start this one off by just saying, if possible, Jenny, try and place your bin on ground that is not on hard standing. So in other words, if it's in contact with the soil, you will have the benefit of all the organisms that are in the soil being able to move up into the compost. And that's just not the larger things you can see, like some of the composting worms, but also microorganisms that, that are smaller that you can't see, and the bacteria. They'll all be in the soil and they can move up through your compost. So that will really help speed up the process. 
you want a mixture of what's referred to as green material and brown material. So the green material, it will be any kitchen scraps, peelings, um, annual weeds, and any leafy bits of plant that you've pruned off. And the brown is the more woody stuff and maybe bits of paper and cardboard scrunched up and things like wood chippings. So you need a good mix between them. Round about 50-50, if you've got more of one, then it's more of the brown. And I have to say, a really good tip, if you, we all get lots of stuff through the door, lots of paper that we didn't, have never asked for, don't we? Shred it and put it in your compost bin, especially in the winter, because it soaks up a lot of the excess moisture that you might get, particularly if you've got, not got a covered bin and it, it keeps adding to that brown ratio. So I find that works really well. If you have got an open compost bin, it's sometimes a good idea to cover it with a tarpaulin type sheet in the winter to stop too much water getting in when it's cold as well. We've got a question coming from Mrs. Gregson in Surrey and she would like to increase the stock of scented plants in her garden so that she's got some scent at different times of the year. So she's already got a few things for the summer, but what about the other seasons? What can she introduce? She's particularly looking for some shrubs here for scent at different times of the year. There's lots of shrubs, actually, that are really scented, especially in the winter. I think we're often surprised how many plants are in the winter are scented. So things, the shrubby honeysuckles like Lanicera perpusii and Lanicera fragrantissima, Eliagnus, actually, for late autumn, early winter, their small flowers are really scented. Witch hazels are scented. And as you sort of come out of winter into spring, obviously Daphnes have a huge fragrance, don't they, that you can just walk past and it, it wafts around and it's, it's really strong. Julie, any other suggestions? So something for the spring is Osmanthus. Yeah. That has lovely scented flowers. Osmanthus Burkwoodii, lovely little white flowers that are scented in spring. And there are other Osmanthus that flowers at different times. So Osmanthus heterophyllus, which is, has holly-shaped leaves, that flowers in the autumn. So you could have two Osmanthus and then you get scented flowers in spring and autumn. OK, we've got one from Brian in Manchester now. And he says, excuse my ignorance, I'm new to gardening, but can you explain why people bother buying plants that die back or lose their leaves over the winter when there's plenty of evergreen plants available? Well, this is an interesting question, and we do get a lot of people asking for plant suggestions, and they want it to be evergreen because they want the interest all year round. And it is nice to have that, but when you have plants as well that change throughout the year, it adds a dynamism and an interest and a kind of movement to the year. If you just have evergreens in your garden, it can actually almost become quite dull because they don't necessarily change very much. So lots of the very commonly planted evergreens, things like Euonymus and Orcuba, even Viburnum tinus maybe, there's not a huge amount of change throughout the year. So you don't get to know what season it is just by looking at the garden, do you? No, and that's, that's another thing, isn't it? We are often asked for evergreen plants that are in flower a lot. And of course there are some, but the choice is limited. Yeah. So, so another reason for some deciduous plants is generally, and there are exceptions, always exceptions, generally you do get a, a, a bigger and sometimes Range, longer show you? of flower, yeah. different range of flowers. 
Okay, we're going to move on and we have a question from Frances in Reading and she says, can we give her any helpful advice on how to keep taller growing herbaceous perennials sturdy and upright and to stop them falling over other plants and her path? Julie. Well, one thing you can do is to give them the Chelsea chop and this works for plants that flower in the summer and autumn and you cut them back at the end of May and it's called the Chelsea chop because you do it round about the time of the Chelsea flower show. So you trim them back by about a third and just cut them down and they will regrow and it encourages them to bush out so they're sturdier plants, you end up getting more flowers, maybe a little bit later but it does keep them nice and sturdy. The important thing is to get the supports in as early as possible so as soon as your tall plants like delphiniums or, or campanula persifolias start to come through get your supports in place so even if you're just using wooden supports you can put wraps do string around them so that you don't need to necessarily buy plastic supports they say you can use pea and bean sticks so those hazel twigs as well that keeps the new growth inside the structure that you've built and, and stops them flopping over as they get taller. And you can actually really tell the difference as well. If you go to a garden, you can tell if a plant support's been put in yeah. at a later date. It almost looks a bit forced. Yes. OK, so that's all the questions we've had to come in that we're discussing at the moment. Um, so thank you very much to uh, Nikki and to Julie. And um, any last tips you want to leave us with for this kind of time of year what are you doing in your own gardens at the moment well I'm growing all my vegetable seedlings all my tomatoes and peppers and things like that it's really important to remember though when you're growing vegetables and you've had them in a greenhouse or on your windowsill to harden them off before they go out we sometimes get overexcited because we have sunny times and warm weather in April but it can get really cold in May and we've already experienced that this year in fact because we've already had periods where we've had some warmer weather towards the end of March and then colder weather into April and so that is a common common mistake people are eager to get ahead and um, we just need to make sure that you slowly accustomise those plants to the conditions. And Julie? Well, I'm thinking about looking after my house plants at the moment. Over the winter, they don't grow very much. You don't need to water them very much and you certainly don't need to feed them. But as we're coming into spring now, they're going to start growing a bit more. So make sure you're watering them really well and maybe give them regular feed, a general fertiliser, a liquid fertiliser when you water them. And this, this spring, I'm uh, extending my... Uh, project of turning some of my lawn into more of a meadow so I planted some bulbs through it last year which have come up this spring and look lovely and now I'm actually taking sections of turf off and sowing some wild flower seeds. Um, we do get quite a lot of questions about people sowing uh, flower seeds and um, they often want to ask us if they can sow directly onto the grass and the uptake result from that can be quite poor can't it so I'm going to strip away some turf and do some testing in my own garden and see what happens. I think we've got quite a lot of talks on creating wildflower areas, not just in your lawns, but in your garden, coming up at Hilltop Live in May. Yeah, it's become a very popular topic. Good, thank you both again. Thanks to James Lawrence, Nikki Barker and Julie Henderson. And don't forget, if you're an RHS member and you have your own gardening queries, you can get free personalised advice from the advisory team, either on the phone or online. Take a look at the membership pages of the RHS website to find out how. And for the general public, you can also join weekly advisory sessions on Twitter. That's at the underscore RHS.
I hosted one a few weeks ago and was asked some interesting questions. For example, one person had a plum that didn't bear fruit. This is all too common. Um, apples are in blossom at the moment and some of those are likely not to bear fruit unless there's good pollination. So unless there's a hard frost, uh, there should be good fruit as long as there's adequate pollination. And one dodge I like to do is to hang some sprigs of blossom from a different tree in a jam jar of water in the boughs of the unfruitful tree. And then the bees and the other insects have got pollen right close by so that fertilisation should be good and frost permitting a crop should follow. Another interesting question was a hedge that had gone yellow, an evergreen hedge of Portugal laurel. At this time of year, when leaves go yellow, I suspect the roots are just not functioning properly because the soil is too wet and it's too cold. This resolves itself as the soil warms up and dries out and then the hedge can extract nutrients from the soil and its leaves will go green. So indeed, if you have questions, watch out for those Twitter sessions. They're every Tuesday afternoon um, from noon to about two o'clock and we'll do our best to help. Now, the way we write about and discuss gardening is changing. Social media, newsletters and, of course, podcasts are all ways growers are connecting with others around the world. Sue Searle runs an alternative gardening newsletter called Radical and a popular Instagram account focused on making the gardening world more inclusive. But before we find out why she started these communities, let's hear how she got into gardening. I'm actually a career changer, so I was working in an office prior to becoming a gardener. One of my earliest memories was sitting in our city apartment and looking out of the window and seeing this goldfinch on top of this weed seed head at the end of um, this kind of long barren stretch of very derelict looking kind of land. Um, and just thinking, I do not know what that bird is or what that plant is. And I just had this really strong feeling that I needed more of that in my life and that that is what, you know, at the time as well, I obviously didn't feel very satisfied or kind of particularly happy with the work I was doing. I didn't like being stuck in an office or at the desk. And yeah, that was like a light bulb moment. Oh gosh, gardening, what does that mean to me? I guess for me, it's always meant peace and a connection with the natural world, having an intimacy with the world around me. So yeah, sort of everything, and also obviously an entry into justice issues as well. Justice issues. This is where her Instagram account comes in. She started it in July 2020. It's just about bringing uh, anti-racism and social justice lens to gardening. So we cover lots of different justice issues. The naming of plants, you know, how that can be a very colonial and imperialist thing in terms of the modern day scientific naming. And then other issues such as paying living wages, you know, not using chemicals, um, this kind of divorce between humans and nature. I mean, so many issues. And this is the thing with decolonizing. I think people often think it's one thing, but it is more about mindset and narrative and what we do about trying to tackle some of these justice issues. Gardening is one of the least diverse professions in the UK and it's hard to give, it's hard to give hard and fast answers to what we do about that. But for a start, awareness is a huge thing, you know, understanding that that is a problem 
and also seeing it as a problem that that is not reflective or representative and asking ourselves why is this happening it's a reflection of just huge injustices in society and these things are going to take a long time to address and to break down it's very easy to say things like oh we need more diversity and we need to recruit more people of color and you know these things can be very superficial and very short term the changes that need to happen need to be much deeper and much more fundamental and we need to look at things more structurally that's how lasting change is going to come there are no easy answers to throw around and a lot of it does have to start with difficult and deep questions about the problems that we face as a society you know issues like racism and sexism and you know classism so many justice issues that we have that are all interlinked and all feed into one another Sue mentioned how we need to ask difficult questions, which is what her newsletter, Radical, does. Writers have covered topics from reclaiming heritage to exploring the issues around volunteering. Radical is an online newsletter. It's run on the platform called Substack and it covers gardening issues but has a kind of justice thread running through it. You know, it started off on the back of having done the Decolonise the Garden Instagram page and it was just to kind of build on that platform and the audience that was built on there. We sort of criticise the media that we currently have and it's just a way of doing something positive and different where people can speak more freely without the constraints of, you know, kind of funding issues or membership or committees and councils and et cetera, et cetera. I think the main hope of the newsletter is just to sort of make people more questioning you know so much of this work is about personal internal work like we have to make the changes within ourselves and in community collectively too i hope that the people who read it and who subscribe feel some sense of belonging and ownership of that you know that they are a part of it they help drive it i mean in terms of the articles that we've had that has been completely driven by people who are writing to me and sending me things in, coming up with their own ideas, things that they would like to write about, things that they would like to read. If you kind of have an open or curious mind, then the newsletter is there. It's open for everyone to read. Thanks, Sue. To subscribe to the Radical newsletter, head to radical.substack.com. Dot com. Radical is spelt R-A-D-I-C-L-E. And as any botanist listening will know, Radical, spelt that way, is the first part of a seedling to emerge from the seed during the process of germination. I rather like that play on words. That is all we have time for today. For more on anything we've discussed, just visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. But for now, happy gardening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. 
It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>